You are Locked On Suns, your daily Phoenix Suns podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello there, and welcome to Locked On Suns, a part of the Locked On Podcast Network. My name is Kellen Olson, your host of Locked On Suns. You can find us on iTunes. Remember, you can subscribe there, search Locked On Suns. You can also find us on Twitter. That's at Locked On PHX Suns. There's a subscribe link in our bio to subscribe to iTunes. That is the best way to keep up with our daily episodes. Another way is to check brightsideofthesun.com where I post every episode every weekday. Those are the ways. Also, Facebook, facebook.com slash LockedOnSuns. You can search LockedOnSuns, and that's the best way to keep up with us and interact with us. And I mentioned that because today I am taking Twitter questions. That is going to be our episode for today. Eddie is out sick, so I am writing solo today. Let's get to your Twitter questions. So one I got last night was from Matt Coyne. Matt asks, Hi, Kellen. Any chance you can see Marquise Chris be the opening power forward starter this season? He's looked good so far in the preseason. No, Matt, I don't see that happening, unfortunately. Uh, If you're hoping to see that, I think if you're asking that type of question, you are hoping to see Chris be the power forward starter, uh, the starter at power forward, I should say. He is averaging 13.6 points per game, which is second among all rookies in the preseason. He's averaging 6.2 rebounds, which leads all rookies. And those have been positive numbers. And the biggest change in seeing his game from this preseason to looking back at his time at Washington is that his motor is way up. He's very active around the rim. He's getting involved in the paint and around the rim. And that's really important for a player like him with his athleticism and his deficiencies in other parts of the floor. It's important for really any big to be active all the time around the rim. And that's something that he has done consistently. And we did not see that at Washington and we saw him in fact get frustrated at times at Washington and he would not necessarily pout but pout in the way basketball players do and that just not really move around that much when he wasn't touching the ball or was getting fouls called on him or whatever but he would have been probably a top five selection no doubt in the draft if he had shown this type of motor and effort throughout the course of his one year at Washington, but he didn't. So he fell to eight for the Suns, which looks to be a blessing for them so far, but it remains to be seen. We are very, very early into the process of evaluating him. It is, after all, just a preseason. Uh, But if we are going to look at those points and rebound stats that everyone has been uh, so nice and generous to tweet out and uh, share over the internet the past week or so, He is averaging four fouls per game still in the preseason. That is something that a lot of players do is foul a lot in the preseason. But remember, that is something that Marquise Chris has to know that he is working on or probably is working on and is still managing to foul a lot. He led the NCAA in fouls in his one year at Washington. And the discipline in his fouls has not shown yet. He is still committing dumb fouls and more so doing it when he has four or even five. Uh, the two times he has fouled out of a game today, one, or uh, today, this preseason, one was fouling a three-point shooter, which is just inexcusable, and then another one was, it was either his like third or fourth foul of the game, this is just an example that came up in my head, is when a player was crossing half court, he for some reason like poked out his hip and tried to block the guy from advancing for some reason. It was just like a really silly like hedge type of play where he didn't need to make it at all, and it was going to always be a foul. 
And those are the types of plays he just can't be making right now if he wants to stay on the floor. Luckily for the Suns and luckily for Suns fans, he's not going to be in a role this year where he's going to get in tremendous foul trouble because he's going to be playing 12 to 18 minutes, maybe in the low 20s uh, per game off the bench. So I wouldn't expect him to have trouble with fouls because he's going to be learning, of course. But at the same time, it shouldn't really matter because he's not going to be fouling out of that many games. His usage percentage is at 23%. That's the percentage of possessions he is using when he is on the floor. That's fourth on the team. So he has been a focal point of the offense when he has been on the floor. That's really high for a a stretch big man like himself. So I wouldn't expect the points to stay that high unless they do use him that much on offense, which again, I don't really see happening once we get to the regular season. His rebounding percentage, he had one of the worst defensive rebounding percentages, which means the amount of rebounds you are grabbing when you were on the floor. So he has only grabbed 11.4% of the rebounds for his team that were available when he was on the floor. And then his defensive rebounding percentage, of course, last season at Washington was one of the worst in the draft and one of the worst we've seen in the draft from a big in a long, long time. That 11.4% is fourth on the team, so not too terrible, but it's only 0.3% less than what Eric Bledsoe, the point guard of the team, had. So that's something we're going to work on. His offensive and defensive rating, which is the amount of points a team will score on you or score per 100 possessions you are on the floor. His offensive rating is only 92.6. That is one of the lowest on the team. And his defensive rating is 101.7, which is one of the highest on the team in the preseason. And that adds up to a negative 9 uh, net rating, which is not very good at all. So despite the high averages and points and rebounds, the statistics have still pointed towards him not having tremendous success so far in the preseason. I still do believe that he has looked good overall in terms of the eye test and everything, but the numbers still suggest that there's a lot of work to do there for him. Thus, it's not been fantastic enough for him to just jump into the starting lineup over Jared Dudley. Dudley is the right choice at power forward for the foreseeable for, for the foreseeable future. Those are words. I will try to use them for the rest of this podcast. We're, we're starting off Monday hot, aren't we? All right, the next question is from Ryan Powell. Ryan asks, how long will it take until Bender stops playing the three? This is a very good question. Everyone who has been watching Dragon Bender play this preseason can tell that he's not very comfortable handling the ball on the perimeter or just in a small forward role in general. He doesn't really look like he should be playing there. At the same time, there have been a couple of instances this preseason where he has gotten bullied in the paint and just looked like he is not in the same class of athletes um, as some of these other NBA players when it comes to strength and athleticism overall. So it's a tough fit for the Suns because if he plays at power forward this season only, he is going to be behind Dudley. He is going to be behind Marquise Chris. And then there's also TJ Warren playing the four with three guards in the lineup, which is something that uh, Paul Cole wrote about for AZ Central. And it's been something that the Suns have been using this preseason and will probably use in the regular season. So he would be almost fourth on the depth chart at small forward or at power forward, sorry. So the playing time for him that's going to be available is at small forward, and they actually need him to play there because P.J. Tucker is going to probably miss the first week or two of the season, it looks like. So T.J. Warren's going to be starting, and by default makes Dragon Bender the backup small forward. They need him to play there for the time being. I don't see him playing power forward 
as his main minutes anytime soon in the regular season. As far as playing power forward for the Phoenix Suns, I'm not sure when that's going to come. I'm not even sure if that's going to be this season. He'll see some minutes there like we've seen. They've played Chris at the 5 and Bender at the 4. We've seen that uh, shown in the preseason. But for his main minutes, I think he will continue to play at small forward. He just needs to get more comfortable offensively. Defensively, he's been great. He's had a block in... I believe four of the five preseason games, at least the first four, he had at least a block. He had at least an assist as well. So he's been getting involved. I know that's not a crazy average or anything. He is also shooting, I believe, like under 30%, under 40% from the field. Has only made a couple of threes on at least like 12 or 13 attempts. It hasn't been a good offensive performance for him, but once he gets comfortable, I described him in the draft before the draft as like a guy that could be an elite role player. He can play tremendous defense, can make the right pass, can hit the open shot. He's going to do all the little things flawlessly while doing think really special things defensively, like being able to switch on almost every position. And we've seen bits of that. He has been making the right pass. He has been switching on guys and showing switch on guards and play good defense. And we've seen that weak side rim protection as well, blocking shots at the rim. I think he's just going to keep playing at small forward because that's where the opportunities are and they want him to get playing time. And he could still be a decent player at small forward, but of course he isn't supposed to be just decent. He's supposed to be really good. And where he could be really good is as a big. So that'll come with time, but I don't think that's something to really worry about this season, especially with where the roster is at. And he'll be fine. He just needs to get out there and get reps and why not learn if he can play small forward or not right now, as opposed to two or three years in the future when this team is hopefully much better along the road. Uh, Bobby Bicycle, what a special name that is on Twitter, asks, do you see Alex Len making a bigger impact this year? It's a difficult question because last year he didn't make that good of an impact at all. Uh, I think the better question is, do you see him making a better impact than he did in 2014-15, which was two seasons ago? Uh, He was very good. That was his best season in the NBA, his second year in the league. He had a 49% defensive field goal percentage defended at the rim. That's a long one. That's basically when you're on the floor as a player, how well is the other team shooting when you are protecting the rim, when you are the rim protector? And he was at 49%, which is an above average number for centers. It was pretty good. And Tyson Chandler, for example, is around like 50 to 52%. That's where he's mostly been. Uh, throughout the past couple of years, and and Len was better uh, in 2014-15 than Chandler was in Dallas, so he has shown that he can protect the rim. His overall splits, uh, his offensive rating was 102, his defensive rating was 101.5, so he was a net rating positive, and he also had only a 101.5 for D rating, which is pretty good compared to Tyson Chandler's 108 last year, and over the course of Chandler's career, he's been around like 104 to 105, really hasn't really been amazing defensively in that regard. And Chandler's been better. He's the much more defensive option conceptually when you look at both players playing the way they're capable of, which neither did last year. And then he had a 16.3% rebounding percentage. We already covered what that means. And that is above average as well for centers. That's not outstanding like Tyson Chandler, who is around like 19, 18%, which is one of the top 5, 10 marks in the league among centers. But Len was pretty good. And then, of course, his field goal percentage was 50.7%. That is much better than the 43% marks we saw in year one and year three of his career. But that's still only average for a center. And finishing is the main thing to be concerned about for Alex Len. He is in a contract year. But do I see him having a bigger impact this year? I think by default we should. 
because he's just he's going to be better than he was last year. Last year was arguably the worst he has played. I mean, he had those towards the end of the season. Earl Watson was using him as the main scoring option on offense, and that was obviously not something that was going to work. But that was also in the Dragon Bender at the three category of let's just try it, see how he works as a primary offensive option, and it didn't go well. That's not really his role. He's supposed to be more of a supportive role player and. That's what we should see this year. I do think he's going to be better, but do I see him making a bigger impact? I don't think so. I'm more pessimistic about Len than others, but I just, after three years of seeing him play and the inconsistencies with foul trouble and finishing and just his overall presence on defense, I don't think so. But in a contract year, we should expect him to play his best basketball. That's for sure. And then Bobby had a second question. He asked, could you see the Suns going after a big man like Caleb Tarzuski? We've got a fellow UA alum in the house, it sounds like. Um, I don't know. They won't because they have Alex Len, they have Tyson Chandler, and they have Alan Williams, who is now on a guaranteed contract as well. For the D-League team, I could possibly see it. Tarzuski is currently with the Oklahoma City Thunder on a training camp invite. He has been playing well from what I've been seeing from the OKC beat writers and everyone following close to the team, and he has been impressive, but that probably just means he's going to still Sign with the D-League, but they're going to keep more of an eye on him than they normally would. If you're not familiar with Tarzuski's body of work, he's a great defensive center, moves very well laterally, just understands how to play defense, did it very well under Sean Miller in Tucson. But his offensive role, he doesn't really have one. He's just going to make rim runs, and he's going to finish at the rim at a decent rate. I mean, the, the, far, the far best scenario for him is... Tyson Chandler, like that sort of play, but more defensively focused because Chandler, of course, makes his money offensively despite not being a back-to-the-basket guy. He has always been involved in very good offensive teams and rolling to the rim. That's the sort of offensive role that Tarzuski would want to emulate. Defensively, he could be good, though. He really knows how to move his feet. He's smart. He knows how to switch. He just knows team defense very well, and he can protect the rim. And most importantly, he has the NBA body and the athleticism to keep up at this level. So I could see him becoming a quality NBA big man, uh, a backup, I should say. Not a starter by any means, but a guy who could go in there for 10, 15 minutes and play play well and keep the defense together. But the Suns don't really have a fit. They have three centers already, so sorry to the former UA alum there, but it, I don't think the Suns have a spot for him. OKC might keep him, though. Keep an eye out for that, though. Who knows? And our last question is from... I believe that's Tim, and Tim asks, who is most likely to start the season on the roster but not finish? Hmm. My pick for this question, and I've seen it a lot, is P.J. Tucker, just because you're thinking about where the Suns will be, and they'll probably be out of the playoff race towards the end of the season when we're approaching the trade deadline, and you're looking at who on the roster is like the best fit for a playoff team. And P.J. Tucker makes a lot of sense because... A lot of teams still need wing help, and P.J. can play great D, hit corner threes, and works his tail off on the floor. And a lot of teams could use 10 to 15 minutes of that, and P.J. could provide that for a very cheap price. He is in a contract year, so the Suns wouldn't really have any value there. It would be like a second-round pick or something like that. But they would also be sending P.J. in a place to make an impact and play playoff basketball, which he hasn't yet with the Phoenix Suns, because, of course, he is one of the longest tenured players on the team. But I would have to say P.J. Tucker, the dark horse obviously is Brandon Knight because if the six-man thing goes horribly wrong, he doesn't like the role and he wants out, there's the guy that's going to go. But 
I would say Knight. Tyson Chandler would be my other pick just because if he has a comeback year, there's still going to be two years left on his deal after that. And if the team does want to re-sign Alex Len and make him the future starting center, they really don't have a use for Tyson Chandler beyond um, the next two years because they'd be committing towards Len for the future, obviously. So if he returned to the form of his Dallas year or somewhere close to that, there are a lot of teams that could use that help in the playoffs. And Chandler's contract isn't that absurd for where the contract numbers are coming from uh, this past summer. So he's one to watch. Those are three players to watch. So that'll do it here for us at Locked On Suns. We will be back tomorrow. Make sure, once again, follow us on Twitter at Locked On PHX Suns to take part in the next time we do these Twitter questions. We're going to be doing this throughout the season with Eddie on the podcast as well, not just me. Uh, So, yeah, we'll see you guys tomorrow. Goodbye.